2: Hey, so Sam, I just want to do a test situation just so we can practice in the event of us accidentally leaving the mic on.
1: Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. So the mics aren't on now, are they? No,
2: nah, no, nah, this is just a test. No mics, no, nah, not a real situation.
1: Oh, thank God, because it would be a bit embarrassing if a, a test situation actually became a real situation, eh? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. I mean, it'd be awful if the mics were on. I, I I wouldn't really want the listeners to know the truth, if you get me.
2: Oh, jeez. I mean, imagine if they heard me admit I'm actually a massive Southampton fan.
1: (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. Oh, when the Saints go Go marching in. in. Oh, when the the Saints go go marching in. With Steve Fletcher, stunning goal! Tracking start for Bournemouth! And it's their longest serving player
2: who's put them in a position of prominence!
1: Well, what a finish this is, Rob! <laughs> the big fella there, the delay on his face, absolutely incredible! Wearing his favourite number 10 shirt.
2: Hello and welcome to Back of the Net, the
1: AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker, wearing the blue away shirt. And me, Sam Davis, wearing the same Bournemouth shirt I always wear, you know, the Premier League one. And here we are, finally at the last game of the season. Yeah, and we've literally just finished watching the game against Manchester United, so we'll be bringing you the freshest fan thoughts we've ever had. So fresh that my inbox is still pinging. Hmm, I know, it's bulging like the compensation tray of a certain Manchester based security company, Sean. But anyway, let's get going. Coming up on the show this week.
2: We don't even have time to edit out the ums and ahs as we have your
1: fan thoughts following the game at Old Trafford. We'll then discuss the key moments from the match and also there'll be another Do You Remember? There's no time for a supporter profile this week. Uh, What is this? What's not coming up on the show this week? We also don't have a giveaway where you can win a million pounds. We do, however, no doubt, have some more terrible puns in club news. Potentially.
2: Now, the big interview this week is part two of my chat with the big and Steve Fletcher. This week, we discuss his non-playing days, which includes the tear-inducing tale of the day he sat with Eddie and realised it was the end of an era. He also talks about his varying roles within the club and a real insight into why he thinks Eddie is so successful and
1: whether we can keep hold of him cannot wait and if that wasn't enough we'll announce the winners of the 2016 back of the net end of season awards
2: and we'll also do the draw live on the show to find out which one of you has won the back of the net eddie had a dream t-shirt it may not be a million pounds sean but it's still one hell of a prize eh It sure is, Sam. So come on then, the engine's running, so I'm going to put this baby in first gear and put the pedal to metal as we hear your fan thoughts on the game against United. But first, here's a summary from Talk Sport, which features an interjection from presenter and United fan Andy Goldstein.
1: Manchester United have won the final Premier League game of the this. season, beating Bournemouth 3-1 at Old Trafford. Sunday's planned contest between the teams had to be abandoned because of that bomb scare. The result confirms a fifth-place finish for Louis van Gaal's men, who ended outside of the Champions League
2: places because of goal difference.
1: Fans' thoughts on Sunday. This is from Southbourne. That's one of the best performances
0: of the season. I think we... Uh, I'm happy with a clean sheet. Yeah, yeah.
1: Totally. I mean
0: they look steady at the back for the first time. We're gonna ship any goals. Richie was incredible. Yeah. Really improved yeah, on the last well, It Probably his performance of the season. Um he took it so well. He did. Yeah. And he took it off, and again. He took off again. Yeah. I beat round Tesco's to get some beer for the journey home. Yeah. And I've got all the Farragus in my pockets. Yeah. Warming up. <laughs> See you later, boys.
1: It's Neil from West London had a lovely couple of days up in Manchester. cost an absolute fortune, but it was all well worth it when Manchester United fans clapped us singing We've Got More Fans Than You when this stadium was half empty. I heard Don McGuinness on Talk Sports rather derisively say that we were booing the stadium announcements. I think uh, people need to realise that that was only because the only information we got was staying, stay in your seats
2: and await further instructions even after the abandonment had been announced on
0: social media. So it's a bit disappointing there for Manchester United.
1: Anyway, we're going to try and get up to the uh, the rearranged game tomorrow night and uh, may even be able to report back on something positive then. Cheers for now. Fans thoughts from Tuesday.
2: So a mixed bag there on the fan thoughts. We had the game on Sunday, and thanks for Neil and Big T. And then I think the fan thoughts from the game today was perfectly summed up by whoever that was that left us that message. Yeah, it
1: wasn't the best game, was it? Marcus Rashford impressed as Manchester United clinched a Europa League group spot by beating the Cherries in the rearranged Premier League match. The teams met at a sparsely populated Old Trafford after Sunday's debacle with the bomb scare. Wayne Rooney tucked home a goal after Rashford's dummy. That was just before half time. And then the young striker drilled in from 15 yards later on. And after that, second half towards the end, Ashley Young converted Rooney's pass before Chris Smalling diverted in Max Gradle's shot as United finished fifth and AFC Bournemouth finished sixteenth. It was a slight change for the starting 11 compared to Sunday's first 11, where. Harry Arter was out on the team sheet. Eddie Howe referred to it as an injury. I'm not so sure. But anyway, we'll have to trust what Eddie Howe said there. Dan Gosling came in. Now, on the bench, there was no Boric. Of course, uh, Federici was in goal and Boric was on the bench, but not so this time. Iturbe was gone. uh, And uh, Corey Jordan, who I actually saw... On the first episode of Back of the Net, he is a central defender and he's a real talent, one to look out for. So he sat on the bench. So, yeah, the teams came out onto the hallowed turf of Old Trafford and uh, the mascots were a bit, uh, well, how do we say different, Sean? And I, just imagine, right, you've been on the waiting list for like
2: six years to be a Manchester United mascot. And then you, your letter comes through and little Billy's going to get to walk out with Wayne Rooney. You get there, you get led into the changing room and they go, right, here's your blue wig and here's your full blue paint for body. And it was like, what? So these kids come out dressed in blue. And it was like uh, if, if any of you guys have seen Arrested Development, the TV show. where um, there's the guy that is the extra for the blue man group. So he basically walks around the house. Tobias walks around the house as fully painted up. It's kind of what this kid looked like. And, of course, it got you why the kid's wearing blue. And it turns out it's a horrible reason. It's some horrible sponsorship deal United have got with the um, poor man's Avengers, the X-Men. And so for this new movie, they've made these kids get fully painted
1: up in blue. Awful, awful, awful. It really wasn't good and it just shows the way football's going, eh? But it didn't get much better on the pitch, really. Now, the first half an hour, I can't remember having anything of note whatsoever. There were a few half chances for United, but they were dominating the ball completely. Bournemouth really didn't get a look in. I noticed our players were slipping around on this greasy surface so much. Now, on sunday 's game, when the fans um, were sort of uh, milling before the match started, but which didn 't start, of course, they were saying that um, it seems to be some excessive watering of the pitch the uh, that th- the ground staff were doing and i don 't know it seems like they were probably doing it for the last two days. I remember going
2: back in league, whatever lo- long way from where we are now. We played away at Northampton, and it was when they were real big hoofing up the middle, and we went away to their place. And I remember that down the middle of the pitch it was dry as a bone and they'd put like extra sand in so that when they did their big long high hoofs it didn't bounce on. And either side on the sidelines, because we were, you know, we've always played with wing players and fullbacks attacking, it was almost waterlogged. It was ridiculous. And I remember (laughs) we lost that day and it was it was all down to the pitch. And yeah, maybe United were were trying to,
1: you know, cut down on our slick passing. Yeah, well, LVG certainly does his research, doesn't he? So maybe that was on his iPad. Who knows? But on 32, 33 minutes, um, we did have a free kick in quite a promising position that um, it kind of had shades of uh, the same position as when we were playing Southampton at home. Matt Ritchie had it on the right hand side, Sean. Yeah, Sam's stealing my research there. So the, this this all came about because
2: the highlight of the first half for many people, it seemed, on Twitter and on Facebook was the fact that Eddie Howe swore on the TV cameras. You could clearly see him saying, for F's sake, but what he was saying, and this is what I was discussing off-air with, with Sam, see, this is why you never talk off-air, do you, Sam? Um yeah. He was shouting at Matty. It looked like people were thinking that he was shouting at Pughie because after the free kick where Francis looped it to the back post, Pughie did about 18 Cruyff turns and then (laughs) got tackled by Rooney. But he wasn't. He was shouting at Matty and he was saying, Matty, shoot, and then did like the, the Steve Fletcher arm thing. When Fletcher used to whiz one wide and he used to do his little arm coming out, swooshy. It's hard to do this on the radio, but whoosh, like that. And I look back at the Southampton goal that Cook scored where Richie smashed it in low and hard towards the goal as a shot. And then Fraser Forster could only parry it and Cook scored. I'm pretty sure that that was what Eddie wanted from that position. He wanted Richie to bend it of his left foot, put De Gea under pressure. Instead, he did a dummy run. Francis looped it, came to nothing. And then, yeah, we got one of the two highlights of the first half, which involved our manager swearing.
1: Yeah, and Jack Wiles on Twitter agreed with you. He said, our pieces are League Two. And it's quite telling that the main talking point is what was happening off the pitch with Eddie Howe swearing. And once again, I think it was on about 41 minutes, our fans uh, brought a bit of hilarity to proceeding, Sean. They did. Now, again, it shows you how far we have come.
2: Who would have imagined that in 2016 we'd be playing at Old Trafford in a Premier League game with the, the, the away fans singing echoing around Old Trafford there's only one Jason Tyndall. there's only one Jason Tyndall. and then they follow that up with he's got a great tan Jason Tyndall. he's got a great tan <laughs> so good
1: work to everyone for that and well Man United did take the lead it was coming wasn't it and it was uh just before half time Rooney finish it was a well-worked goal Sean
2: <laughs> now if I was contracted as an AFC Bournemouth player I would not be telling you right now what a great team goal that was hey Mr Tomlin but seeing as I'm not and the season is now over and we can retrospectively look back after the occasion it was an absolute piece of quality speed passing and finish yes
1: yeah it was really good but um the second half will we'll move on and it didn't really bring up anything more to get excited about did it it was uh it was really bad we really do miss arta uh jack darch on twitter said we're missing arta gosling can't even pass a free kick now that was uh when we had a chance and uh he overplayed it to josh king that was um just you know, just very typical the one plus point we had Our crowd were absolutely brilliant. In the first half where we were, we were poor. I mean, the second half, we were as poor as the first, but we were absolutely superb. Leona on Twitter said epic noise from Eddie Howe's Barmy Army, loud and clear all over the radio. It's a real credit considering, you know, what's gone on in the last 48 hours, isn't it, Sean?
2: Yeah, it was. It was a real great effort. And, you know, it's just such a shame just seeing that empty stadium though and you know the kind of atmosphere it ended up it would have been so different on Sunday and I do feel a bit well I feel a lot sorry for the players that were gearing up because they would have looked at that fixture before the season started and they would have really been looking forward to playing in front of a full house you know and high tempo and of course it ended up just being well you'd say a pre-season friendly but at least with pre-season friendly sometimes you get you know like a fan that gets 10 minutes or Ted McDougall plays for a couple of minutes yeah. for a bit of excitement, whereas kind of this didn't really have anything. But no, well done to all the, all the uh, fans. Um, what else were highlights oh, on the, on the commentary? Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> our, our players are getting very posh because it was, it was Gredell. It wasn't yeah. Gradle. It was Gradell and then when Graban came on, it was Graban for about <laughs> two minutes. And then even the commentator kind of gave up on the game and just started calling in Graban. Um, and actually, when when Graban came on, the goal that we did, did get, because let's just go, I mean, United scored another couple of goals and all that stuff, but and the 90-whatever, I can't remember, my eyes were glossed over by then. But um, Graban just kept getting on the ball, kept moving, looked like he actually, you know, was trying to find a way through. Some good... Football got him to the byline. Good cross back. De Gea, I think, just got a finger on it. Gradel appeared to want to put it out for a throw-in, but luckily, Smalling was there to get his toe onto the ball, poke it in the bottom corner. At least we got one, which gave the 3-1 prediction, I think, I did call. More importantly, it stopped United having the best defensive record in the league. De Gea did not win the Golden Glove award, because uh, he let one more goal in conceded by Smalling, and at least we got a goal at Old Trafford and a little bit of a cheer.
1: Yeah, that's right. We there were you know there were a couple of things that I was going to mention. First half, Pugh had a shot that was blocked. Second half, Wilson and King combined. But other than that, there wasn't much. The only thing that I was kind of looking forward to out this whole thing is the puns that we got, Sean. But. There wasn't really much of that either. Now, Ross Devonport tweeted in saying even a bomb going off wouldn't wake this game up. Too soon, he said in brackets. Wouldn't say that's a, uh, a pun as such, but certainly a statement. Anyway, and there's a certain Salvatore. Now, I've heard of him before, and he called it the Theatre of Sweet Dreams, with all the Zs.
2: Ah, oh, that's brilliant. That's that's the best pun match headline I think we've had all season, actually. So Salvatore. <laughs> anyway, let's... That was your nickname, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, could have been. Um, Anyway, let's let's move on from something that we want to forget to something I want you to remember (laughs) because here comes. Do you remember? This player was born on the 13th of September 1967 in Wigan and made his professional debut for Wigan Athletic in 1985. He was part of the Aston Villa squad that gained promotion to the top division in 1988. He initially joined the Cherries on loan in 1993 from Portsmouth, where he had made 133 appearances. After a short spell on loan at Swansea, he then signed permanently for Bournemouth later that season. He made just over 30 appearances over two years for AFCB before transferring to Carlisle. He was probably most famous for two things. One, his physique, which was more Tomlin than Ronaldo. And secondly, for receiving the ball into his nether regions twice in the same game while appearing back at Dean Court as a visiting player. Okay, that's this week's Do You Remember to Test Your Brain? And it's not a great example of a brain, but it's the best that I can find right now. And uh, let's find out from Sam Davis whether he can remember.
1: I was at that game in the last clue about getting hit in the nether regions twice. And I've got a player in my mind, but I can't. But all the rest of the clues don't ring true. So maybe my knowledge of that player isn't so good or maybe I've just got the completely wrong player. I do not know. OK, well, at the end of the show, if we remember, we will put you out of your misery and tell you the answer to the quiz. I really want to get onto that segment right now because this is going to do my head in. Say so right now, here's Sean with Club News. Hey,
2: the yes, Club News. West Ham stick their irons in the fire but can't pull out some hot cherries. Pete O'Rourke, a journalist formerly with Sky Sports, has claimed that West Ham had a transfer bid of £25 million for Callum Wilson and Matt Ritchie turned down this week by the club. O'Rourke announced the move on his Twitter account and it was quickly picked up by other news agencies, although Sky Sports have now said that due to AFCB saying they are not for sale, the Hammers will now move on to other targets. Will you take this cherry? Yes, they both say. It appears that save the date cards were not dished around the cherries changing room fast enough this season, as both Callum Wilson and Tommy Elphick have scheduled their weddings on the same day. Wilson told the Daily Echo that due to his long term injury, he was able to be involved in a lot of the planning for his big day, with Elphick saying he left his. To his partner to organise. Eurovision is all Bournemouth duo can see. Eunan O'Kane and Harry Arter have both taken another step closer to appearing for the Republic of Ireland in this summer's European Championships, having been named in the 35 man squad for the upcoming warm up friendly versus Holland. The final squad for the championships will be named following this game, so good luck to both our boys in green. In other international news, Sean MacDonald has missed out on the Wales squad, but Adam Federici has been picked by Australia for their upcoming friendly versus England. Let's hope he has a shocker, mate. AFC B
1: Club News. And that was our very own Trevor McDonald. Sean Barker there with the latest AFC Bournemouth Club News from the back of the net news booth. And we'll talk about your pun shortly there, Sean. But um, I was very interested in the whole Tommy Elphick Callum Wilson wedding gate scenario. Now, I understand that uh, Callum Wilson hasn't invited any of the squad members because Tommy Elphick was there first, so to speak. But I thought to myself, God, that, that could cause some frictions within the squad. Couldn't it? yeah well when I first heard about it I was like oh yeah the players are going to find it
2: really tough which one they're going to go to and it's like no it's not because he hasn't invited you anyway <laughs>
1: <laughs> well apparently uh he's getting uh, married to his other half in the midlands and it's going to be a sort of family thing so fair enough but I do want to talk about these puns Sean so we've got West Ham stick their irons in the fire but can't pull out some hot cherries oh that's brilliant it's good eh because West Ham are known as the irons and we're known as the cherries oh right I never knew that. Well, also, will you take this cherry? Yes, they both say that's not bad, Sean. Thanks. Yeah, that's okay. And also, you are Mr. Topical at the moment, talking about Eurovision. Eurovision is all Bournemouth duo can see. Very good.
2: Now, you're, I, I, you know, having lived down here, we don't give a about Eurovision. But apparently, the Aussies have muscled in. Was this some kind of typo, or are Australia now in Eurovision?
1: Uh, i actually uh, i saw the whole results thing and i thought that they meant austria (laughs) and just spelt it a bit badly (laughs) yeah but um apparently it's because it's the somethingth anniversary of eurovision and apparently in australia it's a very big tv event very popular i never knew this but they've got invited in for one year only that's all i know
2: yeah okay not eurovision it's boring Uh, Club news that didn't get into club news is uh, we got a message from David Smith on Twitter and um, he's on Instagram as Fighting Face and... He sent us a message to say that back in January, in the midst of the heat of the Premier League season, he decided that if and when the Cherries would be safe mathematically, he would do a celebration workout in the gym. Now, uh, yeah, I thought about doing the same thing, but (laughs) yeah, I just thought about it. But anyway, on Saturday, the day before the final game of the season... The time had come to do it. So here we go, Sammy. This is this is the workout he did. It's called Survival. Right. So to celebrate um, the uh, achievement, he, he changed the name Survival to Eddie Had a Dream. And he did a 50 calories assault bike, 40 burpee box step overs, 50 centimeters, Ugh. 30 pull-ups, 20 thrusters, 42.5 kg, 1,000 metres rowing, 20 thrusters at 42.5 kilos again, another 30 pull-ups, 40 burpee box step overs, and then 50 calorie assault bikes to finish. I mean, most of us just, you know knocked the lid off another beer chinned it and said well done lads see you next year not david smith so um maybe next year sam
1: can we put some kind of survival uh gym workout for you well maybe sean but when we uh were the sas sean and sam for ferndown locomotive we did have quite rigorous pre-season uh training sessions but nothing like that really Sam let's not lie we went to the hungry horse and we attempted
2: the all you can eat challenge
1: and uh, one of our listeners uh, down under in Sydney Rob Frank I remember him doing the candy mania challenge where he finished his main course and he had this great big bowl of ice cream littered with hundreds of thousands and candies and all sorts of stuff like that and his face I will never ever forget it well done Rob Frank Yeah, so, but more importantly,
2: well done, David Smith, for your Eddie had a dream workout. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Hey, now, if there was an award for the most ridiculous way to celebrate mathematical safety in the Premier League, David would have won it, but it wasn't in this year's Back of the Net Awards. However, there were 10 other categories and you guys got busy voting online at afcbpodcast.com. And Sam, I think the time has now
1: come to present the awards. Yeah, that's right. And I've spent countless nights recently, Sean, with my abacus, with my spreadsheet and with my calculator trying to work all this out. We're going to split the awards into two chunks, but now here's the first section of Back of the Net's end of season awards. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And a warm welcome to the Back of the Net End of Season Awards. It's great to see that you've turned up in your thousands to this prestigious event. The awards that we'll be dishing out today reflect the opinions of real Cherry supporters. So, whether you're in Boscombe, Bermondsey or Barbados, we want to thank the hundreds of people that... What's going on? The sound effects tape has run out. God, you mean that people are going to know this whole presentation thing as a sham? Ugh, okay. So as I was saying, we wanted to thank the hundreds of people who voted via the website at afcbpodcast.com and because we left this as a completely open vote with no multiple choice it meant that we had some really great feedback and some really unique responses but also did mean that it took an absolute age to tot up the results. However, the results are in... So entering from stage left is the envelope with the winners. Thank you. So let's begin. Ten votes, hundreds of responses, and these are the results of the Back of the Net End of Season Awards 2015-2016. Match of the Season. Quite interestingly, in this vote, our win at Chelsea didn't even register in our top three. In third spot, 15%, Bournemouth 2, Manchester United 1. In second, with 18%, it's Bournemouth's win at West Ham, 4-3. And in first spot, with nearly 40%, was Bournemouth 3, Everton 3. Everton, they took off Aruna Coney, they've got a chance yet the It's a goal! Stannis up! Makes it 3-3! For the first time, he could have said unbelievable, Jeff, and he didn't! <laughs> it was unbelievable! Best away ground visited. So, in third spot, with 12% of the vote, was Manchester City's Etihad Stadium. In second, with just over 15%, it was the Emirates from Arsenal, and with a whopping 21.2%, the winner was St James's Park. Daniels wants it square. Daniels takes on the shot and scores. Charlie Daniels for Bournemouth puts Newcastle out of their misery and settles the issue for Bournemouth. Best atmosphere. In joint third spot with 6% of the vote, we have Manchester United at home and West Ham away. In joint second with 12% of the vote, we've got Chelsea away and Palace away. But cruising to an easy victory with nearly 25% of the vote was Southampton at home. Funniest chance. So, as you can guess, with the Best Chant award, there were plenty of different nominations all the way through from Lewis Grabban, he left Kajor sh*t. that was aimed at Norwich fans, and then there was Charlie Austin, he's injured again. Those ones picked up a number of votes as Southampton played Bournemouth and lost 2 0 at the Vitality Stadium. One of the popular chants was aimed at Wilfred Zahar, he's gonna cry in a minute, that was after Bournemouth beat Palace 2 1 on their own patch. However, the outright winner was Jolien Lescott, he's got a new car. Now that was when he mistakenly tweeted a picture of his brand new sports car only an hour after Aston Villa were humiliated at home to Liverpool. Here's what Stan Collymore had to say.
2: Now confirmed, maybe it's a weight off the shoulders. Why is it a weight off the shoulders, Jolien? It should hang on your shoulders in Dubai, in mobs with the gold bottle with the ace of spades on it in the summer when you and Gabby and Leandro are all going to be laughing when your agents go off and tout you to other football clubs. That's where the weight of the world should be on your shoulders.
1: Stan Collymore, the moral bastion of society there. So coming up on Back of the Net, later we'll be revealing the big awards, including Assist of the Year, Save of the Year, Best Goal, Most Improved Player, Player of the Season and Supporter of the Year. Stay tuned.
2: Woo! Congratulations! Woo! There we go. That was part one of the Back of the Net end of season awards. And congratulations to the Everton game. I was surprised that the Southampton game didn't get in the top three for match of the season. But quite a bit of competition, I guess. Uh, Did take out the atmosphere, though. Uh, Best chart, yeah. uh, I just find the whole Julian Lescott thing hilarious. The Tweeting a photo of this car and then his excuse of... Oh, sorry. It, it, it accidentally tweeted in my pocket. <laughs> so that was going away ground. A lot of people said, actually, the Newcastle. I think it was not just the ground. It sounded like the whole atmosphere and the, the people mm. and the city and how welcoming they all were. And I mean, how welcoming the team were on the pitch as well. Probably yeah. So, yeah, well done. So stay tuned, because coming up later on in the show is going to be part two, where we bring out the big guns in the world of the awards.
1: Yeah, that's right. And what's going to be brilliant about this whole thing is that over the course of the week or so, check out afcbpodcast.com because we're going to give you the official stats of each and every one of the votes as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see who came where and breaking it all down, etc. Um, just one thing with Joni Nescott that I wanted to say it's quite interesting. I played that little Stan Collymore bit, but he actually did say on a bit that we didn't broadcast how difficult it is to accidentally send a tweet. And because you've got to open the app, you've got to find the photo, you've got click this he he went through all the button press, it presses it just wasn't humanly possible was it but anyway sean i'm really looking forward to this bit steve fletcher is incredibly honest in his second part of his interview and he had chances to move away from dean court which i found really interesting and here he reveals that the grass isn't always greener on the other side
2: The big interview. The big big interview.
1: interview. This is the big interview.
2: Now, when you finally made your decision to retire, it was when we just won promotion to the championship. And as you said, you never got to play in the second tier. And I, I, you know, I think you should you should have done and i guess i I've just got a question because I, I always remember at at one point during the career there were rumors going around i think it was qpr were interested and stuff did you ever get any approaches from any higher division clubs
0: yeah uh qpr luton preston burnley these are all in what was it, what is the championship now which would have been league one back in the day uh or league two probably um, yeah, because the Premier League had just started. Yeah, so it might have been League One, Championship, whatever it was. It was the second tier of English football. Yeah, many opportunities, but the manager always convinced me to stay. And, you know, and there was a category of things that happened along the way. You know, I got my second contract. Then I met my wife and she fell pregnant. Then I thought, well, I don't want to move away. Then I got my first house. Then they offered me a testimonial, yeah. And by the time that happened, <laughs> I was in my 30s and probably my, my the ship I maybe was offered to sail on uh, uh, had floated by, which, you know, I had no regrets. It was my decision and I'd never changed anything for the world because I wouldn't have had the magical times I've had at this football club and still be working at the club in the capacity I do today. So, you know, we're not talking about going to Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal here. You know, no disrespect. These clubs are are great clubs and QPR is a big club steeped in tradition. And so is Burnley and Preston. But they just weren't enough at the time for me to give up everything and move away because I think sometimes the grass isn't always greener. I think if you're happy where you are and the manager likes you and the supporters like you and you're doing well, well, why move? Yeah, the money would have been better, but not enough for me to to warrant changing my life. You know, I money isn't everything. You know, happiness for me is, is more important. Money helps. Of course it does. That's why we're in football or one of the reasons why we're in football because we want to be financially secure for our, for our families. I mean, not so much in the lower leagues that I played, but we see the the money today that is... We banded around with the Premier League. But it wasn't about the money at the time for me, it was about me being happy. You know, I'd I'd been so like I said earlier, been through enough hard times uh, to appreciate the really good times and I didn't want that to change just for me jumping club for the sake of it. And there was no reason to do it. Um and I'm glad I didn't one hundred percent. Um listen, like I said, James Man United to come calling and that's a different a different ball game but it, it, that was never going to happen so um, I was you know I was, I'm so glad I stayed and experienced what I've experienced it's just beyond belief as a child growing up kicking a ball around the streets of the North, northeast of England in Hartlepool you know someone turned around to me and said Fletch you're going to play over 800 games and seven over 700 for Bournemouth you just laugh them off and walk away um, but that's what I did and you know I I have no regrets whatsoever but like I say, we, you do whatever you think right so. at the time. Hired friends who moved on, You know, I had players who went to Bournemouth and thought the grass was greener. And they went off and, and probably earned a bit more money and had three or four years. And then for whatever reason, they weren't in that team. And they ended up going to clubs even lower than what Bournemouth were. So they'd probably go down to the next tier, just couldn't get it back. For whatever reason, they weren't playing regularly. They'd gone a bit stale, couldn't get the game back to what it was before they left. And I used to think, there's an example, a shining example, that the grass isn't always greener. It doesn't always work out for everybody. Um, And I was happy, very happy. And uh, obviously I am, because I've been here 24 years now on the south coast, and I've lived in Bournemouth longer than I lived in my hometown of Hartlepool. Um, I'm almost more southern than I am northern there.
2: (laughs) Apart from the accent, you can't lose that, right? Which my mother and father don't like, yeah. (laughs) The accent and my mother and father are not happy because... (laughs)
0: funny, when we're on holiday and we meet people, and they go, oh, where are you from? And I go, Bournemouth. And then mum and dad go, oi, you're not, you're from Hartley and don't you ever forget
2: it. So when you did retire, Fletch, and we just got into the Championship, was there a part of you that was thinking, maybe I'll speak to the gaffer and see if I can get one more year?
0: Yes, I did. You don't think I'm dafty, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh
2: Listen, we knew,
0: listen, I was nearly 41. I was a month off my 41st birthday. I was the oldest outfield player in all the leagues. You know, the gaffer had, you know, drained every last piece out of me that was possible. He he resurrected my career at the age of 36 when he became manager of Bournemouth and probably made me a better player in the last three years of my career than I was in the first 15, which is crazy, you know. I mean, usually you should be dead and buried at 36 and I was just coming to light. Um so the time was right, but you know, when you're a player and you've played for, you know, I've played for like 24 years, you just think you're Peter Pan and you can just play forever. The reality was, you know, my heart was saying, carry on, you've got another year in here, but my head was saying, well, not just my head, my legs, my knees, my ankles were saying flex, that's enough, mate, you've taken this as far as you can take it. And uh, we sat down and we shed a tear, me and Eddie, because you may not remember Eddie, the manager. You know, he was one of my best mates and still is in football. I grew up watching Eddie come through the youth ranks when I was at Bournemouth to to becoming a professional, to playing alongside him, to rooming with him. Um, you know, he's one of my big buddies and had been for nearly on 22 years um, or 21 years, sorry. And it both it broke both our hearts because he said to me, "Look, I'm not telling you to retire." He said, "If you want to go and play somewhere else, I know a few clubs will have you." He said, "But I just think the step up to the championship." might be a little bit too much for you Um, he said I don't want you to be around the players and not joining in as much and and not getting any game time and not involving you he said because you deserve more than that he said but I'm not telling you to retire and he said if you want to go and play for another year or two he said I know you can you know at League One level and I said no 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 I said listen if I'm not going to play here I'm not going to play anywhere why would I want to go to another club that no disrespect but I have no affiliation with no affection for this is my club been here, you know, 21 years, 22 years. I I didn't want to leave. I said, if it times the time, then I've got to go. And I said, I want to stay on. He said, Fletch, you know, I, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to be in the recruitment. I want to involve the scouting department. And that was his first part of the call. He said, I'd like you to be involved in that. And that's what I did for, for two and a half years before I went across as first team coordinator. Um, And I loved every minute of it. And being around Eddie every day and the boys, you know, it's, it's not the same as playing. Nothing ever will. But it's the next best thing. Um, even better now because I'm training with him every day as, as coordinator and looking after them, player care. I mean, if anyone knows anything about the club, it's me and the surrounding areas and all the new players we come in. I make sure they're all right. And you know, it's, it's been brilliant. But at the time when he told me, it broke my heart. And like I said, we shed a tear together. And I think we both knew what it meant to me, to the football club. And it was a sad day, but it was a new chapter. Like the manager said to me, Eddie said to me, he said, "Fletch." It's an end, end of an era, an unbelievable era. You know, 24 years as a professional, 20 at one club. He said, but look at it as another chapter in your life. You, you're never going to play forever, even though you probably thought you were. He said, it's a new chapter and, and, and grasp it and take it on and make it your own. And and, I, and hopefully I've done that in some capacity. And um, Do I miss it now? Probably not. At the time, the first season, I was retired. It was very difficult. I was going to watch games as, as a scout or a chief scout or you know, sometimes sat in the corner of the stands in tears because I wanted to be out there playing and uh, that's because I suppose after 24 years you become institutionalised in the sport, you live in this bubble, this football bubble the banter, the changing room, everything that goes along with being a professional footballer and then bang someone pops that bubble and it's burst and it's everything's released and it's hard to get your head round and you see today in the press and on the news and on social media how many ex-footballers are in turmoil and they can't handle not being a professional anymore and everything that went along with it and they tend to whatever, drink, drugs, whatever, then they and they end up ruining their lives. Um, you know, I obviously spoke about that to my wife because she's read it and she was there and you have to address it because nothing's going to be the same again like it was once you retire and hang up your boots. Um, but then you've got to have a strong mindset and say, right, new chapter, new era, almost like let's do it, put that aside and never forget it and always go back to it because of great memories, but move on. And um, it was difficult, I'm not, I'm, I'm not lying to you, it was difficult and it still is sometimes when I'm out training with the boys and come back in you get that little adrenaline buzz and you think, "Whoa, oh, I loved that, even if it was just for five minutes. But got a new life now, new responsibilities at the football club and um love talking about the old times, as you can tell, because I never shut up. <laughs>
2: That's <laughs> no, great to hear and it's great. it's interesting just to hear that side because we see it from the outside as a fan and you know our, we we suffer highs and lows as as supporters but obviously you know the players you have a whole different level of of those ups and downs and so when you moved into recruitment obviously you were um, involved in uk recruitment what player signing were you most proud of being involved in oh
0: <laughs> Oh, that's a tough one, and it's only really tough because that would be disrespectful to any of the other players. But you know, I it was very heavily involved in in Callum Wilson. You know, I went to watch him a lot of times that season, did many reports, put all his goals together, helped in the presentations, and you know, I, I had a you know obviously a a good involvement in Callum when um, he come on, he scored loads of goals for us, and, and obviously that's great, then because he's you know you, you put your input in, you recommend this player the manager believes in you and sees whatever you put together as a as a package and um, I mean he has a final say obviously he does but we've got to bring the players to him and so Callum was great I mean you know Josh King this season has been a revelation and you know I watched him a couple of seasons ago and mentioned him to the manager and I remember I remember this season when we signed Josh King he, said, he looked at me and went he's your boy remember and uh, I thought oh that puts a bit of pressure on me but he's been brilliant and um it's people like this and we said yes to you know, in recruitment to to, to Jan Kern who came in and you know, he helped massively in the last season's push to get in the Premier League. He, he was magnificent. So there's there's players like that. I mean I mean we haven't so overly signed that many players. I mean, people like Junior Stanislas um was already a player for Ed, Eddie and Jason back at Burnley, so they knew that player. Um you know the manager is very aware of a lot of players. You know, it's not as if he doesn't know any players. He probably knows more than what we do in recruitment. He's he's so astute. He knows every player, and I'm sure agents and other managers are throwing players at him every day. Um, so his knowledge is, is phenomenal, really. But yeah, I'd say like you know, you look at the successful ones. Like I say these, Callum, um, Callum Wilson, and it's great to be involved in someone like that. But you know, just as much so, Josh King, anyone you put forward and who does well, you know, it's, it's, it's a proud moment because you think I helped in not even if it was just a, a small little part. Um, recruitment is funny business because when I got in it, one of the scouts come to me and said, Fletch, he said, it's a totally different world from football as such. He said, uh, and 90, 95 to 98% of what you do Will be a waste of time and that's not just watching the games and traveling around the country and the pouring down rain on a Tuesday night and not getting until two or three o'clock in the morning he said that's all the presentations all the paperwork all the reports you do on the player so you do all that and you spend weeks and weeks on a player and watch him on 10-15 games not only live but on the system we have uh, which is called Scout, or you know videos and, and and you can watch any player in the world you you spend time after time watching games you, know, you end up by watching nearly all his games that, that season between you and maybe two or three of the scouts and you put it in a presentation and you make sure it's immaculate and then present it to the manager and 10 minutes in he goes no i don't like him <laughs> and you go oh my god uh but it's true. But then you get the one player he does like who comes and does really well, and it makes it all worthwhile. So that's recruitment. It's, it's a tough job. It's a tough ask. It's a lonely place. You're traveling around the country, um, going from game to game. Not only country, but you know we often went to Europe, and you're by yourself a lot of the time. And you know, as much as I love going to games and getting there and and watching the player, you know, there's nothing worse than when you travel up on a Tuesday night in heavy traffic. You spend five hours in the car, and you get to the game, and the player you went to watch is on the bench, and he only gets ten minutes at the end. It's like, oh my god, I've just spent over half a day <laughs> to watch you play for ten minutes, and that's tough. And he doesn't do anything, and you come back, and you go, and the manager goes, well, "What was your like?" And you go, "Well, he was on there for ten minutes. He touched the ball three times. I can't give you a report. I can't really help you." So that's hard. That's 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 when it gets you, and you think, "Oh my god, this is so frustrating." But then you go and do another game, and sometimes you go and watch a player. And he does all right, but there might be somebody else who does even better. And you come back buzzing because you found another player, you found someone who does really well, and you can mention him to the manager and to the the rest of the scouting department. And then we'll all watch him on that wide scout system. And you know, you might unearth another gem. Uh, that's what you're always looking for the the needle in the haystack. That one person who can come in and make a difference. And it's a pressurised job. The manager always said to us when I was in that position, he said, "This is the most important department at this football club." Because without the signings and the players, the team doesn't succeed as much and everybody's under pressure then. So he was right, it is. Um, Like I say, I still do a bit of recruitment now. I mean, although I'm training with the boys and doing what I'm doing as coordinator, he does often now and then on an afternoon, he said, have you got a couple of hours, will you watch this player for me? Um, I even travelled to a few games with him in the last two or three weeks uh, to go and watch players because the end of the season's coming and we need to be recruiting ready for the start of the next season. So... That will never go out of me. That will always be in me, and I think the manager will always use that as a tool. Um, I say the more eyes on a player, the better. You know, Two opinions is not enough. Sometimes you need seven or eight opinions of people you can trust, and because he's asking me, I do believe he trusts my opinion.
2: And with your role now, so you're first team coordinator, so what does that involve?
0: Yeah, well, I'm first team coordinator and ambassador. I've always been ambassador since I retired. I've always kept that title or anything to do with supporters, you know, going to events, representing the club, I've always done that. But obviously, in recruitment, I never really got to see any of our home games or away games because I was always off scouting. So, people would always say to me, oh, you go to the game on Saturday? I'd be like, well, I can't be a scout and watch other players and watch our game at the same time. So, unless we played on a Tuesday night when there was no other games or maybe a Sunday afternoon, I wouldn't really get to see many of our home players live. So, Um, That was difficult Uh, and then now in January the gaffer asked me if I would like to come over and be more involved with the first team. I said, Kay, what does that mean about recruitment? He said, well, you can still do a bit of recruitment. He said, but I want you in and around the first team. I think we can get more out of you. I think, you know, you'd be welcomed over here. The players respect you. You know them all. You played with half of them just a couple of years ago. I said, I'd love to. I'd love to come over. And, And he said, well, just see how you go for a couple of weeks and just hit the ground running really i'm involved in training every day i go out help set up do whatever the manager needs me to do in training look after the players look after the new players coming in you know you're spending millions of pounds on a player you can't just like the old days where you go well hey, go mate go and see the physio and have your medical done i mean we have to look after these players they might come from another part of the country i have to show them what Bournemouth's is about take them around introduce them to the most important people around the football club around the area speak to his wife, girlfriends, because obviously they'll be lonely, making sure they know the right places to go, the right people to contact. Uh, show them around the football club, introduce them to the manager, and like I said, the, the big dogs at the football club, and, and then look after him and make sure if he needs something in the middle of the night, I'm there to to go and get it. I mean, like I said, I've lived here all my life. I know everybody, um, from restaurateurs to, you know, to people who, you know, electricians, to gardeners, to, <laughs> you know, people who work on the taxi ranks. If you need something, I'll do it for them. I'm there to do whatever the players want. And it's almost like player care. Uh, and also whatever the chief exec wants in, in, on the business side of things. And then I'll take people round tours, around the stadium. I'll take the, the players to Premier League events, because there's a lot of Premier League events you've got to do throughout the season as an obligation to your... Um, to your sponsors, to the to Barclays, which is obviously the Premier League, to the people who own our stadium, which is Vitality. So I'll make sure that's all organised properly. when our players go, I'll take them and make sure the event is run right. So, and then the next minute, I'm in. A, I'm in a school with the players or a charity event. So there's a lot to do. Once training finishes around about 12, 1 o'clock, the bite to eat, and then getting on with the rest of the duties.
2: And seeing as you are in training, you know we've seen videos of you involved with the lads. Like it seems like they're a special bunch. But how does it compare in terms of the spirit of the team to some of the sides you were involved in? It's different.
0: I mean, the spirit's there. And, you know, our motto is together anything is possible. And that's brought us a success. And the team spirit, the fact that there's no prima donnas at the club, there's no superstars as such. We're just a team that works hard for each other with a great work ethic uh, and a fantastic manager. And everyone's got to buy into it. And they do. If they don't, Eddie doesn't want them. Simple as that. So it's difficult to compare because, you know, we were playing in the League 1, on the third year of English football, and, you know, we had a good camaraderie that we were doing things that, you know, you couldn't dream of letting the boys do. Now they're in the Premier League, you know, there was no going out together on a Saturday night. and Well, there's not now, so that, little things like that. The, the banter's a little bit different. Everything's a bit more professional now in the Premier League. There's a lot more responsibility you know the eyes of the world are on them, not just in the, the town of Bournemouth. The eyes, you know. So you think all your social media—Twitter, your, your Instagram, and Snapchat, your Facebook—the boys have to be told, and you know they have meetings about it because they have to be aware of, you know, everybody's out there to to snap them. And and we never had that. You know, Bournemouth—we we were small, small time. Um, not that our boys are big time now, but they are in the world of football um so it's different but the team spirit's always been there eddie's always been huge on team spirit um it's what has brought us a success success when i said to you about the grimsby goal and you know being that uh, yeah we were given 17 point deduction for the government administration and surviving that that was team spirit that won us or got us survival that year and we carried that on and got promoted and we've still got that team spirit that bond like you say and that's because this is important in recruitment you don't bring any bad eggs into the changing room Eddie is so big on the personality of the player. so in recruitment you've got to follow them on Instagram Twitter Facebook you know whatever you can to make sure that they're not lads who are out doing things they shouldn't do Eddie wants to bring good people who want to work hard and be successful into this football club and if you do that and you get 99% of it right you'll have a great changing room and that can bring success in itself Um, like we've seen Leicester City seeing their boys celebrating this week and all around Jamie Vardy's house, and that's team camaraderie, that's team bonding, that's togetherness, and that can take you a long way in football. Yes, of course, ability has to come into it and and everything else that goes along with it, but the first part of call is a good team spirit, a good dressing room, and boys who want to work hard for each other, and the manager is all about that. And you know, I don't think you can really compare all I say is that's always been the case, it's just a little bit different, it's just tweaked a bit different because. You know, of the mindset we have to be in, being in the Premier League compared to when we're in League One.
2: And going back to, you know, obviously you're around with the old Dean Court and the training facilities or lack of. And do you have, you know, do you ever remind the players how lucky they are these days? Yeah, not just me, but
0: you know, Neil must the goalkeeping coach. has obviously been there for seventeen, eighteen years, or whatever it is manager every day tells them how lucky they are. It's all joking aside and tongue-in-cheek, but we are. We sit down with staff members and we say, God, the boys have got it like they wouldn't believe compared to what we had. I mean, we used to train on plough fields as such, you know, it was so bumpy and bobbly, and now it's like a carpet. The surface is unbelievable, and just the facilities from eating together every day with our own chef and food to, you know, have an ice bath and a hydrotherapy pool. I mean, it's just unthinkable to what we got compared to back in the day, which we didn't couldn't even get strips together or kit to wear we'd all be in mismatched kit it was it's a million miles from where we are but all for the better but yeah we remind them you've got to remind them not only them but you remind yourself you don't want to drum it down Callum Wilson's neck that we had it tough because he doesn't really want to hear that but at the right time you'll say to him in joking you know Callum call you don't know well you've got it it's, you know we had this back in the day and they laugh it off and say well I'm glad I wasn't playing back in the day then and you have a bit of banter with it um but Eddie's all about the history of the club. So when we show showing players' videos or new players about this football club or we put together a presentation, which we usually do at the beginning of every season, with some nice music behind it and the history of the club, it'll always start as far back as we've got video footage, which would be the 30s, 40s, right up to Ted McDougal, then the greatest thing we spoke about 94, then the Grimsby and then Millennium. And we'll finish with how successful we've been as a club getting in the championship and obviously now the Premier League. So he won't neglect the history side of it. And there's pictures all around the football club in the pavilion, which we've had built for the players where we meet together and change together and do everything together. Uh, There's pictures all around of of old players legends of the club and historic moments of the football club. So the players don't think, oh, it's just about now. They realise where we've been and where we've come from as a football club um, to where we are today. And I think that's hugely important. Otherwise, if you forget everything in the past and you only... Think of what's happening right at this present time. Um, I don't think it makes the man you you should be. I think you need to know, like being back at school. You need to know things. You can't just turn up and say, right, what's what's current at this present time in the world. You can't do that. You need to know what's happened in, in the past, what maybe you want to happen in the future. And um, Eddie's big on that. And uh, I think it's another reason why we've got that team spirit, that camaraderie, and everybody, you know, loves the football club so much. We never forget where we came from.
2: So with Eddie, I mean, you played with him, you played under him and you worked with him. You're a mate of his. You know, why do you think he's been such a huge managerial success?
0: Because he is relentless in his pursuit to be the best in every department. There's not a stone unturned. Listen, I could waffle on for, I've waffled on enough already, but I could waffle on for an hour. And tell you all the good things he does but he's, the, he's great at everything because he everything matters to him his work ethic is beyond belief he's in at 6:30 every morning he leaves the stadium one of the latest six seven o'clock at night um he sets the bar so high we've got to try and reach it every little one percent that people think that that don't matter to Eddie it does and he'll nail you if you get it wrong he comes down on you like a ton of bricks because if he lets you offer that 1% and somebody else and somebody else, all of a sudden, you know, they become big percentages. And his training methods, um, getting them to play football, uh, to his man management, because uh, he knew how he wanted to be threat as a player. He always says this, he knew how he wanted to be threat. When he was a player, how he wanted managers to treat him. And he tries to do the same back. Now, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, because you can't please everybody, but he has respect for every player. He lets them know, he talks to them. Uh, he makes them understand his training is, is brilliant. He's one of the only managers I know who actually takes training and does every single drill. I know a lot of managers that just are out there and they let their coaches do it. He's hands-on. He's trying to improve every player. He works relentlessly with every player on individual techniques after training. So if, I don't know, Simon Francis, Charlie Daniels, Andrew Sermon, Harry, whoever want to come, after training, can I work on this? Bang, he's working on and doing individual stuff that'll improve their game okay, technically and positionally, or whatever. The strikers are always doing finishing. There's always a day where the manager will say, "I mean, if you want something to do, you want to work on it. We'll work on it." And um, like you say, he's relentless, and he's just so professional. He's uh, meticulous, and everything speaks well, which I'm sure you've heard with his with his interviews. I mean, he's only 37, and being a manager for six years, you think you know, you would be around him for a day and you think, Wow, this if you didn't look at him because obviously he's got boyish looks, and you just listen to him and watched him, you think his manager's been in the game for twenty plus years. Um, but uh, I mean that's as best I can sum him up, like you say, talk all day about him and how good he is. It's one of them though. I think you have to be in and around him and, and see him at work to to understand what he's about, um, and give you all the superbities you want but you have to be it. you have to be around him and, and know what he's like. And uh, I can't really speak highly enough of him and not just because he's my friend because, yes, I would still say nice things, of course I would, but I wouldn't go into detail like this um, and give him the accolades that he more than deserves. I mean, listen, he won he won the manager of the year last year when we got promoted to the championship. Not only the championship manager of the year, but he won the manager of the year to all the managers in all the divisions. So even people like Mourinho or uh, you know, Wenger, he won the all-, all Sorry, the outright manager of the year at the age of 36. It's just phenomenal. I mean, he didn't even say nothing to me. Um, he just said, Well, you know, it's people voting for it. I said, No, it's voted for by the other managers. It's just an unbelievable achievement, Ed, that, you know, you can't even do your head around. And he just took it in his stride. He's very humbling. He just doesn't really say, Yeah, but, you know, it's just a trophy, isn't it? It's just a nice little, an award. I'm like, wow. But that's what makes him what he is, because he's on to the next thing, you know. Right, that's done, that's done, that's finished, right, on to the next thing. Like, so when this season finishes, whether we finish, I don't know, Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. right, we've got to better that next season, bang, and he's at it. There's no, like, foot off the gas. So when you take the foot off the gas, he says, you lose sight of where you want to go. And um, he'll never let that happen. Not while he's in charge, I know that.
2: And in terms of, you know, uh, obviously it, the press and, you know, all the pundits are, constantly talking about Eddie more and more I mean and you know talk about the big big clubs and all that stuff but I mean what do you think in terms of the long-term future of of our club Bournemouth in terms of how far we can go and how far we can go with Eddie
0: yeah tough question because and this is the nature of the beast here people are going to see what Leicester did this season and they're going to say around and go oh that could be us next season now (laughs) You know, Eddie's already come out the table and said, when we're not Leicester. You know, this is, this is Bournemouth. We've got to be mindful of who we are, where we've come from and what level we're at. But how far he could take us or how far we could go as a football club, who knows? You know, what we're trying to do ever since Eddie's been the manager is beat last season's position or oh, success. So we in the championship. We almost got in the playoffs in our first season. Can we better it? Yeah, what well, we did, we went and won the championship first season in the Premier League we're going to finish whatever 14, 15 can we better it next season Well, better than it would be in the top half could we go one further and get into Europe listen you can never say no but this is a different ball game to be in the league 1 in the championship we're talking about finishing to do that you'd have to finish ahead of teams like Everton West Ham you know, Tottenham Arsenal this is, these are huge let's not underestimate it, this, huge clubs Um but Leicester have proved that the small clubs, or smaller clubs, even though they're still a big club compared to us, they can do it. So people are going to think, and you can blame them in some respects, that we can go on and maybe you know, produce the impossible. Now, whether we can or not, I don't know. I mean, the players have overachieved already this season. We were everyone's favourites to go down, and, and once again, I can understand that. They look at the size of the club, people around the country where we were a few years ago, and we'll probably think, oh, that was a flash in the pan. They'll be relegated by Christmas. See you later. So we've already proved probably 90% of the nation wrong. Um, and probably a lot of our own supporters, I'm being honest. Um, so we've just got to try and take, and it's an old boring cliche, but you've got to take each season as it comes, each game as it comes, each season, and say, right, can we better next season? And if it means we finish 12th next season or in the top half, then that, then can we beat that the next season? So I don't know... the crystal crystal ball is going to show. I can't really say what I believe, because we've already (laughs) unbelievably overachieved already. Um, So, for those, you know, anything is possible. Can we finish in the top six or seven? You can't say no. Why couldn't we? Yes, we need an injury-free season. Yes, we need our players to perform. Yes, we've got to start keeping more clean sheets. But, We'll be growing with experience. We've learned a lot in our first season. And you never know, me and you could be having this conversation this time next year. We're sitting with two games to go and we're in the, uh, in the European places. And that's the aim. Why not? Aim high. If you aim low, you'll finish lower. If you aim high, you know, and you get anywhere near it, you're going to be really happy. So you never know. Football is a funny old game, they once said, and they still say to this day, and it's absolutely right. <laughs>
2: Now, lastly, Fletch, and I appreciate, thank you so much for your time and talking to us, but I just wanted to talk really just about, you know, your long-term future and have you got any goals or where do you think you'll see yourself looking into that crystal ball?
0: Wow, wow, wow. Um, oh, I mean, it's three years since I retired. It's flown past. Um, what can I say myself in another three years? Oh, God, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to say still at Bournemouth, you know, working with Andretti Howe with the first team in a successful Premier League campaign. That's what I hope. You know, I don't know. I mean, who's to say Ed's always going to be at Bournemouth? I mean, if we're successful, you don't think other people aren't going to come in, though. You must be crazy if you don't think other people are going to be looking at him. Um, You know, and then what? I don't know. I mean, we hope to hold on to every player and, uh, and also your manager. You know, who's to say we, we're we going to hold on to all the players we've got, who's going to say we're going to hold on to the manager. We, It's a difficult football, it's just a, an evolving sport, and w- one minute you could be up on top of the world, and the next minute, as we know, you can be down. And that can happen at any time. So if you ask me what would I like to happen, I'd like to be in, our, in three years' time, I'd like to be having a fourth successful campaign in the Premier League in the top five or six teams, with Eddie Howe in charge and Jason Tindall. Um, I may be happy in my my status at the football club, in my life, with my family growing up to be beautiful children. I have two lovely daughters who are 18 and 15. Um, And that's all I can hope for, health and happiness. Um, And if that means me being at this football club and in the Premier League, then that will
2: do me. That sounds like a good future, Fletch. Thank you so much for your time, mate. And, you know, thank you for the assists that you've given all those players. And thank you for those goals. A fair few of them were pretty bloody important.
0: I always turned up. I did. I always turned up on the big occasion, didn't I? That was my problem. I always turned up. I always turned up on the big games. If I could have turned up on the games that were just the average games through the season, then I probably have had a much better career. People always said to me, Fletch, you know, you're a big game player. And I used to think, that's nice. But it actually, actually proves that them other games where you're playing Colchester away on a Tuesday night or whoever it may be, they're the games I should have carried on with that same mentality because it could have took me even further. But listen, we all look back with regrets and you know I'm no, no more than anyone else and I have hundreds of regrets, hundreds. Um, but I also have hundreds of great memories. So listen, you can't have it all, can you? There you go.
2: Well, mate, I, I play the football manager game, and the highest accolade on that is you either get a bronze statue or you get a stand named after you, and you've achieved one of those, my friend. So you, you've done it pretty well.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And I think of it like, yeah, it's great memories.
2: Yeah. All right. All the best, Fletch. Thanks so much, Maddie. Top man. Thank you. This is Steve Jones, and you're listening to Back of the Net.
1: Well, Sean, I don't like to praise you too often, but I thought that was a really well put together interview and it really brought out some frank, candid and honest opinions from Steve Fletcher over his time with AFC Bournemouth. And just going into that piece where he spoke to Eddie Howe about the chance of continuing his career and they both came to the mutual decision that it wasn't to be, that was... Quite a heart wrenching and sad moment for me to listen to.
2: Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was sad when he announced his retirement as a fan. And yeah, I do think sometimes you can't really appreciate what players go through. And I mean, yeah, well, as Fletch said, one of the toughest things I'd imagine he's ever had to do. But uh, also interesting just talking about the team and, you know, where he thinks we could end up you know and there's obviously there's ambition within the club and and as he says it's whether we can keep hold of eddie which i guess again was pretty honest to say look you know we don't know whether he will be here forever but we certainly hope he will be
1: yeah that's right uh anyway well done and if you want to listen to that piece again you'll be able to hear it all on afcbpodcast.com yep and thanks to the biggin for his time
2: now it is reached the part of the show where the big dogs are about to be unleashed the back of the net end of season awards it's crunch time it's part two it's the big awards that everybody wants to win let's find out who took home the shiny pieces of brushed plastic
1: So, as we reach the pinnacle of the the back-of-the-net end-of-season awards for 2015-16, we're going to be celebrating all that was brilliant this season in what was a fantastic nine months of being an AFC Bournemouth fan. The awards we're going to be dishing out include Assist of the Year, Save of the Year, Best Goal, Most Improved Player, Player of the Season and Supporter of the Year we had so much feedback from this hundreds and hundreds of emails came in so much so we felt like the director of security search management and solutions limited yeah that's mr reed but anyway let's not cast the blame on anyone chris let's get on with the awards assist of the year some varied results here in this one. Matt Ritchie for Josh King against Manchester United came into third. In second place, Charlie Daniels to Junior Stanislas in that three-all against Everton. However, with an overwhelming 33% of the vote, was Charlie Daniels to a Fobe Phobe, Norwich at home. What a cross. Daniels. He's got a here, Daniels. a the centre. Here he is! Record signing with his first goal for the club. It was a potter's finish, and with Bournemouth's third goal, that should seal all three points. Save of the Year. So unsurprisingly, Arta Boric featured in the top three, but third was saving away to Shamak at Crystal Palace in second spot, clinching 15% of the votes. The save of a penalty away at Leicester City. However, coming top with 18%, the double save against Manchester United. Comes to Fellaini, great save by Boric. McNair with a header and another brilliant save by Boric. And Bournemouth clear their lines. There was doubt whether he would play but he's justified his position already. Brilliant save from the volley and then the follow-up header somehow got across once more. Right. Time for the next award. Who's gonna win this then? Best goal. Yeah, Sean, but how am I gonna build tension when he got over 75% of the vote? Oh, I've got an idea. Okay, so at this point, I really should be doing my Chris Tarrant impression, but uh... what, do you want me to do it? Okay, it's gonna be A, Steve Cook. No, 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 I'm not gonna do that. Is it gonna be Adam Smith against Everton, Steve Cook against Villa. (laughs) Should we just cut to the chase? It's Matt Ritchie versus Sunderland.
2: Good effort! Oh, what a goal that is by Ritchie! Jaw-droppingly brilliant!
1: Oh, and what an absolute hurler that was. So, on to most improved player of the season. Well this was an easy decision We may as well have named the trophy after him He won at an absolute canter With over 78% of the vote Don't forget that many of our players Have come from League One Some from the Championship And look at where we are now eh? So everyone's an improved player But this person scored very well In third position Adam Smith In second position Charlie Daniels But in first place Josh King
0: that was lax clark has been caught out and bella have been punished again it sums up their season josh king gets born
1: the second player of the season well they say there's no iron team but if you actually look closely if you you do the a a bit funny there, there is really however there is a player of the season And this has been voted for by hundreds of AFC Bournemouth fans over at afcbpodcast.com. It's the fans vote and you have voted in your numbers and we've got the exact stats right here. So here we go. Joint third place, Andrew Sermon and Josh King. In second place, taking 15% of the vote, is Charlie Daniels. But the winner, with a massive 48.4% of the vote, is Simon Francis.
2: Back again to Francis. He's coming away through, Simon Francis here. That would have lifted the roots off the various stands here long forward and have the one in. he
0: could have just played Josh down that channel who back daily blitz but he just kept on going
1: so some very huge congratulations to Simon Francis for picking up yet another award this time the fans award the back of the net end of season awards player of the season well done Simon so one award to go supporter of the year with this not being multiple choice we opened ourselves up for well some interesting answers for the supporter of the year we had people voting for themselves people voting for the people that they sat next to lots to go through hundreds in fact however there were a couple of clear standout nominees so just to read through some of the nominations sammy watson went to every game Cherry Bear The guy with number 44 On the back of his goalkeeper shirt Nobby Dog Loud and proud Facebook admin For putting up with the whingers Tom Jordan Ben Phillips Louise Orchard from Paul Lance Queens Who wrote that? Peter Bell for his work on Cherry's chimes Joe Wright Juana Turbe, Alex Deutsch We've even had Tichel Ranti. But we did have someone who got 22% of the vote, and that is the famous Mad Clive, who's been doing all that fundraising, raising money for Julia's house with his ridiculous amount of walking. Well done, Clive. Much, much deserved. But with nearly double the percentage on 44%, there was one clear winner. And we are so pleased to be awarding the Back of the Net Supporter of the Year to this little man.
2: How are, you? Okay, hey, how are you, buddy?
1: Good. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. how are you?
1: I'm fine, I just laid on the sofa. Yeah, oh, that's good. You're watching TV? Yeah, I'm playing Xbox. Yeah? Yeah. Playing Xbox, what do you play? Uh, FIFA and... Oh, you I doing well. Yeah, I think you scored... Yeah? yeah I yeah. think you scored about 10 goals for me. Really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, what was it like having leukemia? you know when
1: I Yeah. So as you can guess, that was young Cherries fan Felix Brown on the phone there to Jan Kermigan earlier on in the season. Jan, of course, had leukaemia when he was 14 years old and he's in regular contact with Felix as he endures his gruelling treatment. Now, if you follow Felix on Twitter, you'll know that he is absolutely cherries mad, and he is the beacon of positivity. Rather than let the news get him down, Felix decided to create an internet blog to link in with his family, friends and strangers, as well as to inspire other children who are fighting cancer. You may have seen a few months ago that he had a visit from AFC Bournemouth manager Eddie Howe, who called in for a cup of tea, he gave him a signed shirt, and also he invited him to watch a training session as well. He's a top, top man and he's fully deserved of the first ever Supporter of the Year award from Back of the Net. Now, he's got this celebrity thing right down to a T because unfortunately he can't be with us tonight. He's probably on a red carpet somewhere at some premiere. However, he did have this message to say. Thank you to all the AFC Bournemouth fans and Back of the Net listeners for voting me as Supporter of the Year. I'm over the moon. Up the cherry. Thank you very much, Felix. I'll let you carry on hobnobbing with the stars now. That's Felix Brown, back of the nets, very first supporter of the year. Cue
2: fireworks and explosions. Wee, wee, oh. Oh, wow, what a finale to the back of the net end of season awards. Think like the Olympics closing ceremony, and that's what I'm looking at out my window at the moment. I spent $3.87 on a couple of firecrackers, and man, they're just shooting up into the sky. I mean, only an inch from the capsule, but boy, they look ex- <laughs> they look grand. And it's a fitting way to end the back of the net end of season awards for this
1: season. Hey, so Sean, were there any um, awards that you thought, hmm, I wasn't thinking he was going to win or they were going to win? Or was there anything that you were kind of thinking, oh, that's a bit strange? Uh, I think had we done the votes for the best save
2: after the West Brom game, I think that the penalty save and the follow-up probably would have taken that award. But I think the United Bombs a great one. Uh, if if Joshua King hadn't been playing for our team, I was actually that actually shocked me. Not that he didn't I thought he'd win, but I would have I expected Stanislas to be top three and I don't think we can underestimate what Stanislas did for us when when that period where we had all those injuries and we were looking a little bit rudderless and man, did he step up. And so I would have had him a little bit closer, but uh player of the year. I mean, Francis was just the way he adapted to centre-back was, was just incredible. And then of course, supporter of the year, um, yeah. young Felix. That was really exciting. Great to hear.
1: Yeah, it really was. And uh, I've been chatting to his mum, Kerry, as well. And um, he says that he, well, as he said, He was over the moon and uh, she said, you know, football always puts a smile on his face more than we sometimes can. So, Felix, 100%, that's well-deserved. But someone else is going to be deserving of a T-shirt, aren't they, Sean? Because we said that one of the people who voted is going to get a back-of-the-net T-shirt that, at the moment, is not available. But in the next few days, you'll be able to pre-order from afcbpodcast.com. But we're going to be making the draw today, Sean someone's dreams are going to
2: come true in the next few moments, like forget winning Eurovision, forget Leicester winning the premier league. This is the real prize this year. So everyone that voted, you did go all into, into the drawer. So we have a back of the net t-shirt, which has got our logo on it. And then it's got in big letters. Eddie had a dream. It's going to be the must have fashion accessory this summer down the beach of Bournemouth, or maybe this winter on the streets of Wellington. Um, Um, So they will be available on the website. But we are going to do the live draw now. We could use a really fancy machine like they do on the National Lottery. We're not going to do that. We are going to refer to Sam's very detailed Excel spreadsheet that he put together. He's put it on the screen. He's going to close his eyes. And then he's going to point in the general direction of the screen. And I can see him on a webcam to check that his eyes are closed. He's going to spin round and then... I'm going to say stop, and he's going to point at a name, and let's see. I, I'm so excited, listener! I bet you are too. This in the next few moments, you could win. Here we go. Here we go. Let's listen in. This is this is live now from Sam's living room. Okay. The hand's going up towards the screen. I can see that now. I close my eyes. Let me just check. Yeah. How many? How many? What am What am I doing in front of you, Sam? What am I doing in front of the screen? No, he cannot. I can verify he can't see what
1: I'm doing to him. I can't see a thing. Right, well, I've pressed. I've pressed this. Sc- Oh, hang on, hang on. Sorry, mate. I've just pressed. I've pressed the wrong <laughs> thing. What's this? <laughs> oh, God, God's sake, Sam. Sorry, I've got a touchscreen monitor for to and I've just pressed some in documentary I was watching earlier on. Right, hang on, hang on a sec. Let me. Well, I'm gonna have to open and get my bearings back. Right, there we go. I'm back. What is What is this? This is like Amateur Hour. Come on. Right, I've got it here. Here we go. The winner is. Here we go and stop. We've got a winner, Sean, and it is Chris Hillersdon. Chris Hillersdon, well Yay! done. You've won a back of the net t-shirt. Money can't even buy it yet. I've just uh, now clicked onto his Twitter profile. Uh, he's an AC Bournemouth season ticket holder, husband and father. He is at C Hillisden. Uh, are you following us on Twitter? Yes, he is. Good man. So, yeah, well done, Chris. We're going to mention you as well and let the world know that you are a Back of the Net t-shirt winner. Well done. Oh, wow. I
2: mean, uh, there was a bit of a balls up there where you, you appear to play some kind of, I don't know, some kind of song you're trying to compose in your, in your quiet times. But well done. And, th- and big thank you once again to, you. Yeah, literally there were hundreds of people that entered. So um, it was really great to get the feedback. Well done to all the award winners. I already can't wait for next season's Back of the Net end of season awards. Hi, this is Steve Percy. You're listening to Back of the Net.
1: So that's almost it from this episode of Back of the Net. It's the end of season episode. And oh, hang on a second. We've just had an email come in. And it looks like it's a breaking AFCB pun headline. And it's from Robert Murphy. That's Rob, AFCB13 on Twitter. And he's come up with The Fuse Fails to Light as Cherry Bomb Fizzles Out at Old Trafford. Oh, wow. It has been a show
2: of spectacular endings. Uh, that That's even
1: better than that Salvatore chap's effort. Yeah, most definitely. Now, we're going to be taking a break for a little while, but we're going to be coming back with a few episodes, aren't we, Sean?
2: Yeah, we are. So um, we're going to have two weeks, so there won't be a show next week unless this game got voided and we have to do it again after the cup final for a third time. Um, but no, we're going to be putting together uh, three special shows, which, yeah, we'll kick off um, in a couple of weeks' time, which look back over the season. So we're going to review the season in three parts. We're going to bring you clips of, of the games, fan thoughts from when we started doing our show, but and just kind of give you just some good memories to to think back on over what has been a pretty sensational season
1: yeah we'll pop in some some best bits of the podcast some some of sean's not so brilliant puns as well and also we're also going to try to do uh, a couple well we'll see how it goes euro 2016 podcasts as well
2: Yeah, that's right. We're thinking we would do some England specials. So as England will march on their way to glory or abject failure. So it might just be one show. It might be uh, four shows. But yeah, we'd like to bring you um, those shows during the Euro. So they'll they'll be fully England focused. So if you haven't subscribed to the show already, just make sure you hit that subscribe button. And then as and when we do release shows, then um, that will pop straight into your podcast app.
1: Yeah, so I've been racking my brain throughout the whole show, Sean, whole show, Sean, and that's a bit of good alliteration there, isn't it? And this, do you remember, it's really, really bugging me because I've got a name in my head from a player that, as I said earlier, I know he got he done in the Ghoulies twice in the same match, but it's not him, and I know it's not him. Can you maybe just give me a couple of clues again? Yeah, I I know you know
2: it's not him because I saw you sneakily have a little check on Google to check on a name and an image. (laughs) I can see, Sam. Uh, What other clues? Uh, He was pretty good at penalties um wasn't very good at running was thinning out a fair bit funny enough i looked at a photo of him now and you know he's been an ex-player for quite a while (laughs) he doesn't look a lot different to his playing days so i'm gonna put you out of your misery sam because you don't know who it is no i don't know warren aspinall oh man <laughs> or sumo as he was known that was the nickname I don't know whether he liked it or not but that was the that was the chant we used to
1: sing at him well you know what you may I mean you were definitely around in this era um, watching at the old Dean Court but there was a man, now Adrian Panic, right I thought there was a match where he got, because he was playing for Gillingham at the time. This was after he played for Bournemouth. And I do remember where there was one game, I swear it was him. I swear it. He got done, you know, twice in the Nether regions. But maybe, am I getting confused? Yeah, no, it was, it was Warren Aspinall and it was Krista
2: Warren that both times, from, from right back God. on that day, smashed it into his ghoulies right in front of the newsstand. And, yeah, I was pretty much on the floor for about the next 15 minutes laughing at that <laughs> incident. So there you go. That was Do You Remember. Um, tot up your totals over the last four or five weeks. And if you got anywhere near five, congratulations. If you got a one, then maybe console yourself with a, I don't know, a bit of snake bites on a walkabout session
1: with Sam is snake bite is a uh, walkabout still open in Bournemouth Sam or has that been closed down I, I think it is Sean well I tell you what in a couple of months. Why don't we go? Because you're coming over, aren't you, Sean? I am. Yeah, we're blowing the back-of-the-net budget. The back-of-the-net credit card is getting
2: maxed out again because I'm going to be coming over in July, August. So I'm going to be there for uh, the first game of the season, I think. Coincidentally, my flight seemed to have coincided. And we're going to look to do some kind of back-of-the-net live event. We're not sure yet. It might be incredibly spectacular with actual proper fireworks and special guests and bouncy castles. Or it could be a couple of cans of uh, G&T round at sam's but either way you my friend listening to the show will definitely be invited so keep your eyes and ears open for that but other than that sam i reckon we're done are we
1: yeah, I think so. Just all we want to say is make sure you subscribe. You can listen to us in numerous ways. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Mixcloud, on YouTube, however you want to do it. Just go to afcbpodcast.com. And if you look at the top, there's a how to listen link to. And remember to check the website later on this week, because one, we'll be having a breakdown of all of the AFC Bournemouth Back of the Net Awards. Vote by vote, we're going to be showing you all of the percentages on a nice little pie chart. And all Also, you will be able to order the Back of the Net t-shirts as well from our exclusive online store too. It's all very exciting. I love a good pie chart. I saw this thing. it's just totally
2: off AFC Bournemouth, but a pizza is basically a pie chart of how much pizza I'm going to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Like it. And on that note, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Richie, maybe on Walker, Pew, pew! that'll do it, that will do it, Pew for Bournemouth.
1: The roof of the Gold Sands is raised, everyone here knows what that could mean to this football club.